You are listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Well, good morning, Mission family. It's a privilege to be with you today. I'm so excited that we get to continue this series on first love, what it means to be a disciple. Uh, This was launched uh, three weeks ago. You might remember Pastor Jason uh, introduced it to us, looking at uh, the book of uh, Revelation, looking at the admonitions, the rebukes, the encouragements that Jesus Christ gave through the uh, Apostle John uh, to the churches that were in Asia Minor. And uh, in the beginning of chapter 2, he uh, introduces uh, some text for the church at Ephesus. And in describing and talking about the church at Ephesus, he commends them for several things. But then he brings up this concern. He says, but this I hold against you that you've left or lost your first love. That sort of laid out the, the basis for this passage because you could see that even though they were doing the right things, they were missing what it meant to be a disciple, to be uh, so enveloped in your relationship with God through Christ and so intent on becoming more and more like Christ that that drives and directs what you're doing in your life. And I know I think everybody that's spoken uh, a part of our teaching team in this series has given a different definition of the word discipleship. But I'll, I'll tell you my simple uh, definition of the term. Uh, discipleship is simply a relationship with a purpose. So if I decided I wanted to be a great uh, college basketball coach and I wanted to be uh, a disciple of Mike Krzyzewski, and so I, would, I might go to Duke and be on his t- staff there and uh, you know, be able to sit in the huddle and see what he says to his players and how he diagrams plays and how he runs practices and how he recruits and all of these things that would take to be, so that I learned more and more of what it was like uh, to be him. So I would I'd have that potential uh, of being a, a great uh, basketball coach. And it's the same thing for us as believers. Uh, To be a disciple of Christ means that we have a relationship with God through Christ and we're seeking and becoming more and more like Christ. So it's a relationship with a purpose. Uh, Two weeks ago, Ricardo introduced this concept of uh, dying to self. And you hear it and you think, what does that mean? You know, what what does it mean? Well, self is just that part of who we are that that wants to be number one, that wants to make everything all about us, that wants to make sure life is comfortable for us, that that looks at every problem and situation that we're in through, through our own lens. And what God says to us and to his word is that we have to die to self. We have to put that behind us in order to be a disciple of Christ. And then beginning last week with uh, Paul's sermon, we began to look at this concept of, of first love and discipleship in the context of various aspects of who we are. So last week it was on relationships with Paul. Today we're going to be looking at the area of finances. And the reality is this is an incredibly important area, right? It's probably the source of more conflict in relationships. It's probably the, uh, the source of worry in people's lives. Uh, you know, will I, do I have enough to make it through the end of the month or to my next payroll? Do I, am I going to be able to pay the rent this month on time? Uh, you know, all of these kinds of sources of, of concern and worry in our lives. But the reality is, as much as we might want to say, hey, I don't want to have to think about this, we have to in the world that we're in. We have to deal with money every day. We have to pay for things. We have to be able to uh, work and so on. So it's part of life in this world. So finances are an incredibly important part. 
When we look at this today, I want to do two things. I want to look at what does it mean to lose our first love in the area of finances? What, what might that look like? And then I want to look at what does it mean to be a disciple of Christ when it comes to our finances? Uh, there are three characteristics, and again, you might not have all three of these, uh, and, uh, but you, you may have more than one, of, uh, of an individual when they've left or lost their first love in the area of finances. First of all, their lives are characterized by worry and want when it comes to finances. Worry and this concern about, oh, I don't know that I, I have what I need. I'm, I, I just, I'm struggling and uh, I, you know, I, I am torn by anxiety in this area of finances in my life and, uh, and want. And this is really interesting. Listen carefully to this. The reality is, is that most of us uh, have a tendency to say something like, I, I don't want to be rich. I only wish I had a little bit more. You know, I, and I think the irony of that is that probably until fairly recently in his life, Bill Gates said the same thing. It really doesn't matter what you have. There's a tendency, the human tendency, when we've left or lost our first love in the area of finances to be, I just need a little bit more. And, and that drives us in terms of thinking about it. Second characteristic of, of an individual who's left or lost their first love in the area of finances is that their lives are characterized by greed. And greed is this uh, desire to get more and more, uh, to take what is not yours, to uh, maximize every transaction for your own profit. And it's, it harkens back to what we see in 1 Timothy chapter 6, where it talks about the love of money being the root of all evil. Greed is the love of money, the desire for more. And it describes in that passage that it leads to bad decisions being made. Third characteristic of someone who's left or lost their first love in the area of finances is that their lives are characterized by waste. They buy things that they don't need. They are failing to plan or think ahead in the terms of finances, failing to invest for the future, ending up with things that they don't need. So, you know, whether it's the daily cup of Starbucks or the, um, you know, a guy that buys toys, you know, for some new activity that they're into for three or four months and then they move on to the next thing and they, you know, suddenly their garage is full of the, the things that they're no longer using or whether it's uh, sh shopping as therapy uh, in some kind of way. But uh, these are the three characteristics. So when we have left or lost our first love, our tendency in the area of finances is that our lives are uh, characterized by worry and want, characterized by greed, and characterized uh, by waste. So what does it look like in the area of finances to be a disciple of Christ? What does that mean for us? What does it mean to have embraced our first love in the area of finances? I think there's three uh, things that I would describe. First of all, our lives are characterized by contentment and trust. We see this in Philippians chapter four, uh, beginning at verse 10. So I'm gonna read that. If you, wanna, if you have your Bible with you or your app with you, just turn to that as well. Philippians chapter four, verses 10 to 13. It says in that passage, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him or through Christ who strengthens me. 
Three things I want you to note about this passage. So just as a little bit of background, Paul's written to the church at Philippi and he's, he's commending them for their desire to help meet his needs that he had. So it, it's, this is him writing in response to that. And we see in verse 11, a really interesting phrase that he uses. He says, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I, I think it's very interesting. I think Paul uses that word learned on purpose because learned means it wasn't natural. The non-natural the non state for us, the, the part when we're controlled by self, when it comes to our finances, when it comes to our physical needs, is to not be content. And what Paul describes is that he's learned to be content. Second thing I want you to note in this passage is that the, um, Paul often writes uh, in response to a dominant philosophical view of his day. And uh, this passage really uh, hits at what would have been the um, Stoic philosophy that would have been uh, prevailing in this time period. And the view of the Stoics was that the answer to every problem that we had can be found within. So the source of solving a problem, you already have the answers within you. And Paul gives a very different picture of it. He says that the, the source of his contentment is not anything that he's done, but can be found in verse 13 where he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So the source of my contentment is not me, myself, and you know, being at peace with it. It's this recognition that it comes through the strength of what Christ does on my behalf. Third thing I want you to note in this passage is that the word uh, contentment there is a Greek word, kortazo. And that word um, is, uh, is also translated satisfied. And it's interesting. It's used many times in scripture, but there's one particular usage that I think captures a little bit of what Paul's talking about in this passage. And that's it found in Luke where uh, the story of Lazarus and the rich man is told. And in the story, uh, Lazarus, who's very poor, says, I would be content. I would be cortazo. I'd be satisfied if I just had the crumbs that came from the rich man's table. And I think that's really important because many of us, when we talk about contentment, we can picture a situation where we have enough financial resources that in that case, I'm content. But what the use of it in that passage in Luke and what Paul's implying here is that it doesn't matter the situation that I'm in related to my finances. I already have the answer to contentment and that's found through Jesus Christ. So it says in verse 12, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So regardless of Paul's circumstances, he um, recognizes that the source of contentment is the strength that he has through Christ. So the first characteristic of an individual who's uh, in discipleship with Christ in the area of finances is that their lives are marked by contentment and trust when it comes to their resources. Second characteristic is in, found in the word Generosity. Uh, let's take a look at First uh, Corinthians chapter sixteen, and we'll see that first couple verses in that uh, book. First Corinthians chapter sixteen, verses uh, one through let's say three. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. So just as a little bit of background, uh, Paul writes this portion of the book of uh, Corinthians to the church at Corinth in response to something that they've written for him. 
written to him, a letter that they've given to him. So he's responding to a question that they've asked. So he starts out this chapter by saying, now concerning the collection. So this is something that they have asked him about, and he's going to respond and give them an answer uh, to it. And it was a, um, a desire on the part of the Corinthians to be generous in their giving towards the church at Jerusalem. We don't really know what had happened with the church at Jerusalem, but the believers there were suffering from poverty, uh, perhaps because of famine, perhaps because of persecution. And uh, the church in Corinth and the churches in Galatia all wanted to respond to that need. But there's three principles I want you to see about uh, generosity and giving from this passage that I think are really important. First of all, the, uh, the prince, there's a principle of giving to those in need, particularly through the church, right? So Paul gives them direction that, they're, uh, that, they are, uh, that it's commendable that they have this desire to help, that it's a good thing, that generosity towards these believers in Jerusalem is a good thing, and here's the mechanism. We're going to do a collection through the church to help meet the need that's there. Second principle that I want you to see is that um, it describes this on verse two. On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. I think it's really important that we recognize that their giving should be planned and set aside. So what he's saying here is that, you know, that awkward moment when the offering plate comes down the aisle at church and you reach into your wallet and you haven't thought at all about it and you open it up and, well, it's not much there, but I'll put a little something in the offering plate. That's not what is a definition of generosity in this passage. God's desire, God's plan for us is that we plan ahead. We think about how we, uh, what we want to give to help meet the needs of others and we set that aside and then live on what's left from that time. Third thing that I want you to see is that uh, uses this expression, as he may prosper, in verse 2. That means this idea that uh, the amount that's given relates to the resources that an individual has. It's this idea of proportional giving. And uh, that doesn't mean that if I have very limited resources, I don't have to give at all. Uh, it, but it does mean that if I have more resources, then more is expected of me in terms of giving. We see this also in First Timothy chapter six, that same chapter where a little bit earlier in the chapter it, uses, it talks about the love of money being the root of all evils with greed. Uh, in verses uh, 17 and 18, just a little later in that chapter, it talks about the responsibility that those who are rich have. It talks about the fact that they are to not be haughty, meaning that they're not to see themselves as being the source of their gifts and, and income that they have, but that God's the source of it for them. And that because of that, that they are to be generous to others, uh, 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 generous in good deeds towards others as well. And so this principle of generosity should mark our lives as disciples of Christ. And get this, guys. Here's the reality. Every single one of us in America, we may feel like we're one of the poorest per per persons in America. We're rich compared to much of the rest of the world. So I think that whole passage in 1 Timothy 6, this whole charge to generosity relates to every one of us. Third principle uh, for those in terms of finances, third characteristic of those who are disciples of Christ uh, in the area of finances can be found in the word stewardship. Now, stewardship is a, a funny sort of Bible kind of word, but all stewardship means is that somebody has given me something that belongs to them and given me the opportunity to take care of it for them to be a steward of the resources that have been given to me, to be a steward of uh, you know, something that somebody's entrusted to my care. We see this uh, particularly in Matthew chapter 25. We're going to look at a fairly long passage in here, but it's, uh, I think, important. Matthew chapter 25, we'll be starting at verse 14. It says there, 
For it will be like a man going on a journey. This is a parable given by Christ. So he describes the kingdom of heaven this way. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To the one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you have delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So remember, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And oftentimes when we look at a parable, we're primarily interested in that heavenly meaning. But what I want you to understand is that the fact that it's an earthly story or, or built on an earthly truth is what's maybe most important for us today. So Jesus is capturing something that's true about the world and making a spiritual application from it. But that, that physical, that real world truth uh, is particularly important for our topic or understanding this topic of stewardship. Uh, a talent, as it's described in here, is actually a measure of weight. So depending on what the talent was of, so if it was a talent of silver, it might be worth one thing. A talent of gold would be worth more. Uh, so we don't know exactly how much money each of these uh, servants receives, but it, it could have been a very significant number. Um, three things I want you to see about what good stewardship means from this passage. First of all, good stewardship means investing what you have been given. So each of the servants who are commended, the one who receives the five talents, the one who receives the two talents, they are commended because they take what they've been given and they take it in and they invest it. And they are able to take five talents and turn it into 10 talents or two talents and turn it into four talents. So there's this, there's this idea of, of being serious and earnest about taking what you're given and investing it wisely. Second thing that I want you to understand is that good stewardship is required no matter how much you've been given. It didn't matter whether you had the five talents or the two talents. It was the same expectation for you. And in fact, it wasn't just the same expectation, but you actually got the same reward at the end. I think sometimes we look at this and say, well, if you've been given a lot of money, then a lot's expected of you in terms of how you take care of it and stewardship. No, it didn't matter if you're a one-talent, two-talent, or a five-talent individual. The same expectation for good stewardship of your resources exists. Then the third thing I want you to understand about good stewardship, uh, it should be marked by the, the uh, praise that the uh, master gives of being well done, good, and faithful. Well done is this idea of, of doing it with excellence. Uh, good is the idea of it being a moral component, so being morally good. So you could think about investing in something that's not morally good, and you might do it excellently, but if it's not morally good, it's problematic, right? 
And then the third point is faithful. So well done, good, and faithful. Faithful just means simply doing the right thing over and over and over again. So, you know, today I got up in the morning and I, I was on my way to work and I actually took time and made my breakfast at home and made my coffee at home and I didn't have to stop and eat out and uh, get a coffee on the way to work. And yeah, look at me. I've been such a good, great steward of my resources, but tomorrow's a different story and I might not be able to do it then. No, the idea of being faithful is every day I think about being a good caretaker of the resources that have been given to me. As we close, I just want to remind you and, and challenge you to think about the contrast. Uh, how do I know where I'm at? Am I a disciple of Christ in the area of finances? In that contrast, is my life characterized by worry and want in the area of finances or trust and contentment? Is my life uh, characterized by greed in the area of finances or generosity in the area of finances? Is my, is my life uh, characterized by waste in the area of finances or is it characterized by stewardship in the area of finances? Let's pray. God, those, those uh, differences between each of those terms, the, uh, you know, the contrast between worry and want and contentment and trust is convicting. Um, Lord, I want to be your disciple in the area of finances. I want to be a steward of the resources that you've given. I want to be generous in helping meet the needs of others. Lord, I, I want to be uh, content and know that um, you, have, you have my back, that you have uh, given me the strength to get through whatever situation that I find myself in. Lord, I just pray for each person uh, in, our, in our mission family or that are listening to uh, this message today, Lord, that they too would think and reflect on their lives and have a desire to be a disciple of you, to be in relationship with you through Christ and then have a desire to be more and more like Christ, including in this area of finances, that we'd have more believers whose lives are characterized by contentment and trust, by generosity, and by stewardship. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.